Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We've got we've got some people listening in Farhan, so let's welcome them to the Vancast Live. We'll give it a Twitter crowd to to perhaps stream in. I'm watching the Mariners, by the way. How'd they blow this lead to to Texas? My goodness. Well, they were up they were up uh, seven six. Gave one up in the eighth, and then the second one came. In oh, oh, sorry, 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 Farhan, you've excused, you've um, you've mistaken me for someone who actually cares. You know why oh, they well, blew you, this lead? You brought it up. <laughs> well, they just tied it. It happens to be on in the uh, Kraken's par- portion of the press box, Kraken management's portion of the press box, where I have seated myself. Anyway, well, they just they just tied it, so they haven't blown it yet. They were we're we're good. We're in great shape. <laughs> Come on, Blowed. magic numbers down to two, buddy. They haven't blowed it yet. Well, look, the Canucks blew a third-period lead tonight in preseason action at Rogers Arena. To me, that doesn't really matter. Like, I saw a lot that I liked today. I thought Niels Hoaglander played great. I thought Linus Carlson exceeded all reasonable expectations. I thought Andre Kuzmenko was electric. Electric. And Elias Pettersson, absolutely dominant. I also had some uh, time for Connor Garland's game. I don't think that line played particularly well, but Connor Garland did a ton of stuff that I found hilarious, fun. Uh, He had one one play in particular where the uh, net came off its moorings, and he personally put it back, then set himself up in the slot and got a high-danger chance. (laughs) That's right. if, (laughs) If he had scored that goal, I would have been so pumped up. Like, I would have just been like, that is amazing. You not only manufactured a goal with your play and positional work and your shot, but you literally kept the play alive by putting the net back on. Um, I thought Jack Rathbone played well. I thought Kyle Burroughs played well. Basically, basically, it takes me a lot of thinking before I get to a Canucks player who didn't play well. Like, Archer Silovs obviously did not sort of build on his impressive third period against Calgary. Um, you know, there were a couple that he'd certainly want to have back. Um Tanner Pearson and JT Miller looked like they were easing themselves in. Uh, but, you know, I don't worry about that at all. Danny DeKaiser and Tucker Pullman, I, I guess you could say, didn't play particularly well. I don't think the team's defense as a whole, like the team's defensive play as a group was very good. And, you know, I, I guess there's a few guys who were quiet. Like, I still haven't seen a ton from Dakota Joshua, although he did have an impressive fight and he did land that massive hit on Michael Kempney. Um, you know, I guess... Will Lockwood sort of looked like he was battling through a, a back injury toward the back end of the game. Um, I guess he didn't look great. Like I don't know. Like whatever. Who cares? It's preseason. And yet I go downstairs, and Bruce Boudreau 
is as downtrodden, Farhan, as I have wow, ever really? seen him. I haven't, heard, I haven't heard the clips yet. Like, like, like borderline despondent. Can't stop talking about the results. Um, you know, finally, I sort of am like, Bruce, it's preseason. Like, what, what do you have to see? What do you want to see over the balance uh, of the, the next four games? And I, I'm literally saying this to just be like, why are you so mad, bro? Right? Like, I'm just trying to find a tactful way <laughs> to ask him why he's so mad. And I sort of thought that he'd kind of shut it down, and he didn't. He, he sort of he said that they played lazy. Um, he said that what he wants to see is them play a complete game, that they haven't seen that. Uh, talked about habits and bad habits creeping in, and obviously I picked at that with my follow-up. Like, he was really annoyed by how this team performed today. Really annoyed. Like, really did not feel like they played well enough. He was flush. I've, I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you, Farhan. I have never seen Mr. Positivity, Mr. Good Vibes, Bruce Boudreau, so down... As I did after the Canucks blew a, uh, what, was it a 3-1 lead in the third period of a preseason game against a AHL-level Seattle Kraken team, you know, the second least impressive, or the second the, the second most impressive team, or the second least impressive team, excuse me, from the Seattle area tonight. You know what, I, I well, and Seattle's going to win this game, so then you'll have to, you'll, you'll have to eat that. But hey, look, um... You know, watching that, I, I get why he's behaving the way he is or the, reacting the way he is because I think, you know, you want to send a bit of a message that, yeah, the preseason, I think he knows this doesn't matter. But it would be so easy to get caught up in all the other stuff. It would be so easy to get caught up in what Andre Kuzmenko did, what the power play did, how Thatcher Demko looked in the first two periods, what Quinn Hughes continues to do while playing on the right side and basically playing on every side because he's basically a rover for this team. You know, it would be easy to get caught up into a lot of that. And I think for him, he probably wants, you know, the complete win. And I don't mean, you know, two points, just a completeness of effort, finish the game well in the third period. Archer Silovs play better than you did earlier on. You know, just all of those little pieces, um, you know, tighten up defensively. The Kaiser and Pullman need to be better. Like, there's a bunch of little things that you can... This is the time to get angry. Because when the, when it, when it you get into the season, you know, a lot of times... You know, Bruce, right? Like, even when things went bad last year, which didn't happen that often, he still spun it as positively as humanly possible. I think right now he wants to set the culture and set the expectation and be demanding and make sure everybody knows that he can be demanding. Because last year it was all a love-in, right? Everything was the house's money, it felt like. So, you know, I'm with you, right? I, I thought there was a lot to like, right? I mean, I think we're all keeping a close eye on the newcomers. Andre Kuzmenko in this game, uh, Ilya Mikheyev when he gets back into the lineup, hopefully as early as next week. Anybody that's new that, you know, we're, we're looking at where they might fit, players like Nils Hoaglander, there's storylines there. There's storylines around Pod Colson. You know, we don't necessarily look at uh, Pedersen and, and Hughes and Miller as closely because we know how good they are, but yet they still find a way to catch our attention and impress us. Um, so I'm with you. I think there was a lot to like because I think those are the things that we've been looking at. You know, Kuzmenko really impressed me. Um, you know, he got the first two goals, which was great, but he created. He was aggressive uh, with his shot. He didn't waste a lot of time. Even though he wasn't as accurate with it the second and third period, he wasn't afraid to be aggressive. So, there, you know, I thought there was a lot to like in his game. Uh, Quinn Hughes just seems to be getting more and more comfortable playing on the right side. So I, you I, know, I on the one goal. I disagree with you. I, okay. I have zero time for this. I want. I'm. I'm. I don't want to be. Wait a minute. About you just anymore. said you liked all of this stuff. You said you liked it all of it. Why right. is Bruce upset? I always like Quinn Hughes. To be clear, I just. <laughs> I just really like him on the left side. 
And, you know, his best moments tonight all came when he was, as he put it, surfing and yeah. moving back to the left side where he's outrageously dynamic. And I don't see a path to this team maximizing what they could be this season. If Quinn Hughes isn't, you know, a top 10 defenseman in this sport. And I think to be that, he's got to be in the place where he makes the most dynamic stuff happen. That's on the left side of the ice. That's just what I want to see. I just, I want to see Quinn Hughes do Quinn Hughes stuff. I I think Quinn Hughes on the right side. I think Quinn Hughes on the right side is still Vancouver's best defenseman on the right side, right? Like wherever he plays, he's going to be that good. Uh, You know, I didn't like him on the tying goal, right? Because if he's, if he is not playing on his offside, he might be able to corral that kind of giveaway by Tanner Pearson and be able to exit the puck, right? But it was it was a little tougher uh, being on the side that he was there. It was kind of the one time I noticed it. Offensively, I thought he was fine. And, and truthfully, his ability to surf in the offensive zone, particularly on the power play, right? I mean, I, I, I thought there were some moments where he moved all over the place there, but he yeah, saw but some offensive zone pressure shifts that he and Ekman Larson basically switched sides, and then they switched back. And then, you know, I, I liked his aggression. Aggressiveness and I, I liked his creativity. So I'm not down on the right side experiment. You, I, I just think there's so many other things that um, you know you, you could potentially quibble with. But I don't know. I, I've, I've no. got more time to see more of it. Sorry, sorry. He's he's going to be great wherever he plays. He's just better on the left. Okay. Just leave it. Just leave it. Leave it where it is. And and more than that, more than that, I think with Dermot being hurt, you know, how do you build a left side? Like, are you really? going to sign Danny DeKaiser and play, play him with Tucker Pullman because I didn't have a ton of time for it tonight, and I definitely am not going to have time for it when the games count. Um, Jack Rathbone looks good, but he like does. you you want him in, on a third pair. You want you him do. on a third pair unless injuries strike, and then you want him to seize a second, a top-four role and never let go. You know, like that's that's the that's the way you want Jack Rathbone to scale up. You don't want to throw him and rely on him in top-four minutes right off the bat in my view and and you know i think if you do and he disappoints you've set him up for that so you know i I, like at the end of the day i think it's we always want this silver bullet for the canucks to have improved their defense core right like nate schmidt improve the defense core like pullman improve the defense core silver bullet (laughs) hughes on the right side improve the defense you know they didn't improve the defense core they did nothing to it they have jack rathbone who's a year older and coming and looking good so that's great that's that's your upside but like you can't tell me that the way that the Canucks lined up today, right? Put in Myers wherever you want with Rathbone or with or with the Kaiser, right? Uh, you can't tell me that that's better than running out Hughes, Shen, Myers, Oliver Ekman, Larson, Jack Rathbone, Tyler, uh, T- Travis Dermott, Luke Shen, and Tucker Pullman in some combination, and just being like, well, we didn't improve the defense score. You know, like th- it is what it is. Like that's going to be their best option. I. I Quinn Hughes is going to be at his best on the left side. I've seen enough now through scrimmages in the preseason that I feel pretty confident about that. Yeah, so he will be at his best on the left side, but collectively, can they not, when Dermot is healthy, collectively, can they not be better with him on the right side and creating that kind of depth, right? I mean, i, I got to be honest. Like, there is a big part of me that looks at Jack Rathbone, and while he doesn't have Quinn Hughes' ceiling, he also didn't necessarily have Quinn Hughes' floor when he first came in, right? And Hughes was so dynamic that they were willing to live with the warts. I think if you let Rathbone play in a second pair, which I think at some point this season he's going to, I think he's going to surprise you with with how good he is. And he's not Quinn Hughes, but I just think that um, he doesn't need to be completely protected. He's been brought along slowly enough, as I see it. But, well, I will but he say hasn't this. had games. Like, he just hasn't had games. Well, because no, you're right. Because of the pandemic, it's been... 
What is it, 64, ga- 64 games that he's played in the last two years? I mean, he might as well have been That's what his tough. college career is. And, and that is difficult. But, you know, and I look at Danny DeKaiser. I want him to sign him, but I want him to keep him in the minors, right? I mean, I, do I think he's one of the top seven defensemen here? No, I don't. But I do think he's one of the top ten in the organization if they sign him. And you need that many to get you through a season. And I'd rather look at him at this point than Guillaume Brisebois. Right, because you know what you've got with him, and he's oh, not a sure, young up-and-coming sure, prospect. We're not, so. we're not even talking about Breezeba. Hey, um, <laughs> Devin G says sees him play less than 20 minutes of five-on-five on, five on the right side. I've seen enough. How was your first 20 minutes of writing, Drance? Terrible. It was really bad, <laughs> like without question. Oh, it was epic. I come on, it was epic. It was terrible. But Quinn Hughes is special. I'm just a hack. Like you know, Quinn Hughes is special. Like let him be special, where we know he is special. Like, I don't know, especially when playing him on the right side doesn't feel like it addresses anything. Like, it doesn't it doesn't make their team better, in my view. It just creates this giant gaping hole on the second pair. Like, it's not like they, you know, have this perfect second pair that only works if one of OEL and Hughes can play on the right side. Like, they don't have that either. Like, it's you create another problem and you neuter one of your best players a little bit. Like, even if it takes him... 30 games to figure it out and then he does figure it out like is he going to be better there than he is on the left side like that's what i struggle with it's not about whether or not i think he can do it i know he can do it it's that i love what he does already and i don't see what the benefit is in in terms of the down lineup effects of having him play the right side like that was sort of my only thing that i'm coming away from tonight really worried about is you know, and honestly, this has been a creeping feeling that I had over the past week in general, which is, you know, for all that we've talked about the defense, like it looks the way I expected, and that's going to be a problem. Yeah, look, I, there's there's so many ways to look at it, right? It's where you see, you know, the, it's the Tucker Pullman effect. It's where you see a guy like uh, Travis Dermott fitting in, right? Because is he better on the left? Is he better on the right? You know, do you worry about him being a top four defenseman, you know, on that second pair as the second left D? Um, so yeah, there's a lot of ways to look at it in terms of how it affects other players. And it's going to take us a while to figure that out. Uh, but, you know, for, for me, like, I, I, is he better on the left side? Absolutely. But I certainly think he can help this team on the right side. And I think he might be able to bring out the best in all of Reckman Larson as well. So, I mean, we'll see. Look, we're going to be debating this for a long time because I think you and I, you and I both agree that uh, they're not walking away from this experiment anytime soon. So this oh, is. Oh, ju- I don't know about that. I don't know if you heard Bruce Boudreaux's availability after. I, I know you did actually after uh, after morning skate today. I did, yeah. But he said, you know, well, we'll at least go with it tonight. You know, like he seemed less committed to it today, pregame, than he had at any point. And tonight, you know, he said, oh, Quinn Hughes would be a star if he played center. He's right, by the way. But, I mean, I don't know that this look has necessarily got the leash that I thought it did going into today. And so, you know, I'm genuinely curious to see exactly where where Hughes lines up when next this team hits the ice. All right, let's play a game. Let's play a game with our uh, 160. Real real quick, before we get off off Quinn Hughes, how about his ice time? Like holy cow, it's it's game two of the preseason. Yeah, but Quinn Hughes Quinn Hughes plays all day, man. Like I don't I don't you know Quinn Hughes can play all day. That's that's who he is. I, I think he wants it. He talked post game about wanting to get the reps 
you know, you get the bumps, you go through it. You, you know, you haven't played hockey in five months. Uh, you haven't paid, played in the, this competitive environment in five months. It's good to get your feet under you. You know, he's like, I don't need any more games to be comfortable on the right side. I am comfortable on the right side, which matches everything he said, you know, about the experiment to this point. Um, he likes it. He insists that he likes it. I believe him that he likes it. Um, but, you know, I think he wants to play. He wants to get into games before they count. And, you know, he was pretty clear about that. I don't think Quinn Hughes minces words. And so so it goes, hey, let's play a game now, okay? I want to play right. a game, all right? We're going to play trending up, trending down, okay? And I want I want our audience to participate as well. I'm going to bring up a name, Farhan, and then I want you to say whether you think his case to make the opening night lineup and or his overall form in the case of the locks is trending up or trending down at this point. And we're not just talking about tonight, although obviously we're going to weight what we just saw heavily. Uh, we're talking about the entirety of training camp preseason to this point. So you pick whether you think a guy's trending up or down, and I want our audience to chime in too, and if you offer commentary, we'll read some of those as we go. Sound good? Let's do it. All right, trending up, trending down. Let's start with Niels Hoaglander. Uh, throughout training camp, and I think the first preseason game, he was trending up. Uh, I think the opportunity around him with the injuries uh, is also trending him up. I thought today he was kind of ordinary. You thought he was ordinary today? I thought he was better in the first preseason game. And and certainly in training camp, you know, from everything I'd, uh, I'd read and heard, he was setting the world on fire in training camp. So I thought he was better in the first game. So I don't want to say he's trending down, but I think he was trending a little higher a few days ago. See, I, I liked his game, and we've got some people who agree with you. Ricky M. and Rohan and um, Justin M. Uh, all agree with down. So I, I'd be curious if you guys would elaborate as well. I saw a lot to like today, particularly because he was playing on more of an energy style line. Like, you know, it, to me it felt like the Canucks were creating a separate branched sort of path for him to be in the opening night lineup, which is, you know, whether or not Besser and Mikhaev return quickly, you know, if you can function as sort of an energy line guy, you know, that's a line you can play on um, if you play a certain way. And I just thought that he aced that test. He was going around winning a ton of battles, uh, playing, you know, with a with a ton of speed. I felt like you could have played a lot of his shifts to like the Woody Woodpecker soundtrack, like <laughs> the way that he was like <laughs> stick lifting and robbing pucks off guys along the wall. I loved what I saw from him today. For me, he's a trending up. Um, let's uh, let's get to some of the commentary. Uh, he was good today, says Jake L. Cut him some slack. He's playing with Oman and Joshua. Ryan that, is, B's, that is fair. Ryan B. says Hoaglander definitely trending up, was flying and generating, generating tonight. Wish he would have been in Carlson's spot with EP40. Let's get to Linus Carlson in a bit. Um, I want to find someone who said that he was trending down. Um, this is bizarre world. I always agree with Farhan and never with Drance, but agree with Drance on Hogs. Okay, that wasn't someone who um, who disagreed with. Here's Rohan. I know that Rohan. Rohan says it's a fair point, but under the assumption he'll be top nine due to injuries, he didn't look impactful in that sense. That wasn't his role tonight, though. In fairness, no, to, no yeah. it wasn't. But I also think, you know, if the role that is his is to be in the top nine and he wasn't given that look and Linus Carlson passed the eye test and we'll get to Linus Carlson next. Yeah. I guess that's the argument for him trending down. It's like, why didn't he get the shot considering that right now it feels like that's where he's going to go. All right. Linus Carlson trending up or trending down Farhan. 
And our, um, audience, and our audience, you guys tell us too. What do you think? I think he is... I think he's trending down. Uh, I think um, what we saw in the last preseason game was good. I think he's getting ample opportunity. He doesn't look as creative or as dynamic as I thought he would. I, I you know, I thought the chemistry with with Pedersen. Pedersen's kind of driving a lot on his own. Do you know what I mean? Like he's just making plays and beating people one on one and attacking. So, you know, I don't know that they're necessarily using each other as well as they potentially could. So, I don't know. I, I didn't see as much as I thought I would from Carlson tonight. Interesting. So a lot of our listeners agree with you. Arthur's neutral. Uh, Bob C's down. Del J's neutral. Down, 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 down. Um, interesting. I and think I didn't think the, he had a huge opportunity to make this team anyway. I think he's just hoping for one of those spots that will get him one of the first or second call-ups at some point early in the year as needed. I, I don't know that there's a path to an opening night lineup spot for him this year. Yeah, I wonder if... I wonder if... Carlson is down because people had high expectations. I, I don't know if a lot of people have seen him play, right? He played in Calgary in the preseason opener, and that wasn't televised. Um, you know, I, I feel like for a lot of fans, people saw him for the first time today, so they noticed some of the pace issues. They noticed that, like, when he makes plays, even when they're high-skilled plays, they don't look easy, in part because he's not arriving first, right? In part because he's always being harassed because his pace isn't quite there. But for me, who's been watching him play almost every day this week, um, this was the fastest he looked. This was the first time that his pace was high enough that I could see him being an option to play some NHL games. So I actually came away today thinking, hey, you know, this is a guy who could maybe, if they needed 10 minutes in sort of a middle six-ish role because of injuries at some point this season, this guy might just have enough foot speed to pull it off. Uh, talking to a pro scout in the press box today, uh, they called him a one of those classic, ugly, effective players. And I thought that was <laughs> dead on, on point. Um, that matched my impression for me anyway, partly perhaps because my expectations are lower than, than some of our listeners. Um, I thought he was up. So that's anyway, that's my view of him. All right, let's move on. How about Dakota Joshua? Uh, Dakota Joshua had the one fight which, you know, everybody was impressed by and, and fair enough, right? Uh, he tried to be physically engaged. Overall, he left me wanting a little bit more. I think I had big expectations for him, even in a smaller role, you know, because he's basically got a spot to lose, right? And he hasn't been a regular NHLer, but they've, they've set him up to make this team. And I, I don't know, I expected more from him. Outside of the fight, I'm not sure I really noticed him that much. Um, I noticed the big hit on Michael Kempney. There was that, yeah. Uh, th at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the thing with Joshua is... He can hit, throw a clean, heavy hit on a guy like Kempney, a veteran player, and you feel it rattle the boards, and you see that it rattled the player, and it looks miserable to have been on the other side of, and who else on this team can do that? Uh, no, look, again, he's got a spot, and he's got a unique skill set for this team. So I'm not suggesting for a second that he shouldn't make the team. I just thought he would be a little bit more... Uh, for the ice that he got and the, the you know, the role the that he contract. got. And yeah, you're right, fair. that one hit was very, very noticeable, right? I mean, uh, that was a hit we've been clamoring for from a lot of different people who've had the big forward label with this with this organization in the last couple of years. So he's, I think he's going to be fine this year. But like I said, I, I thought there'd be a little bit more there tonight. 
I thought yeah. he'd be in on the forecheck more. I thought he would be more physical outside of one big impact hit in one fight. We definitely haven't seen much with the puck from him, but at the end of the day, the size-speed combo and the ability to bring something different, I think, is enough. Like, I think it's enough for me to answer trending up on Joshua just because if you wanted to see, like, the the thing that he can do that no one else on this roster can do, you saw it tonight. And so for me, that's enough to have him trending up. Well, regardless of, of what he looked like tonight or his overall impact tonight, He's going to make the team, and he should make the team, right? In that fourth-line role, in a limited-minutes role, uh, he, you know, he's going to be an effective player, and he's going to, like you said, he's going to do something that others can't do on this team. Fair enough. So uh, last thing, though, on Joshua, because I always got to bring it to Cap Minutia. At the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, at the end of the I'm day. I'm working on my maniacal laugh since you're not yeah. on the VanCast regularly. <laughs> Um, do, how how was uh, how was did you ever listen to the full twenty seconds worth of me maniacal laughing that I sent you for the promo that you and Harmon cut? I did, and you probably did that in like one take, right? Like that would oh, have yeah, been just, one take. That's your natural, right? Oh yeah, one take. I just like well, what happened was I started fake laughing for you for my good friend Farhan, and then so if anyone hasn't seen the promo that Farhan cut with Harmon. You know, Farhan messages me out of the blue one day and he says, I need your maniacal laugh to end this video. Do you have any clips of it? And I'm like, I don't, but I'll just record myself doing it. I obviously have a voice recorder on my phone. I use it every day. So I just turn my voice recorder on and I start fake laughing. And then my wife walks into the room because she hears me just like fake laughing. And she sees me holding my phone up laughing like an idiot. And so she actually starts laughing. And then I started real laughing for about 10 (laughs) seconds. And then and that's and that's why I think the audio that uh, that I sent you was actually pretty good. Um, yeah, no, okay. sorry. By the way, hang on, wait, wait, wait. Mariners won 10-9 in the eleventh. Ah, JP well, Crawford, JP well, Crawford with the RBI magic number down to one, big boy. Hey, 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 hey. Bad news, bad news for the baseball world, but good news for my parlay. Um, there you go. <laughs> let's, uh, Great news for the baseball world. We get um, to cover playoff baseball in Seattle. Hey, so. Um, Anyway, back to Cat Minutia. Dakota Joshua at the end of the day costs an extra 70K over what a guy like Phil DiGiuseppe, who's next up, by the way, on our trending up, trending down list, um, costs. And as these injuries pile up for the Canucks, right, it gets harder and harder to sort out your opening day lineup. And that is one area that I'm wondering could matter if Dakota Joshua leaves any doubt in the minds of Canucks management. For all that he has done and all that he showed tonight, which is completely unique relative to his teammates in this group, right? Um, I still sort of wonder if he hasn't been, if he hasn't done enough to leave no doubt and perhaps leave the door open for a guy who perhaps fits a little bit better in, based on their cap picture overall, a guy like a Phil DiGiuseppe, trending up, trending down, Farhan, Phil DiGiuseppe. And 70, hey, 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 can this decision really be made on $70,000? Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Well, they have to get as close to the cap as they can, close to the upper limit as they can. To use all them, of the relief from the Michael Farland contract. Correct, correct. And it's a big issue. Like, you know, I wouldn't be shocked, honestly, I wouldn't be shocked they would love to move the Furlan deal and not have to deal with the LTI aspect of it. 
I wouldn't be shocked if they redouble their efforts. Like, that wouldn't surprise me just as these injuries pile up, and particularly if they're looking at some guys going into the season not necessarily being able to go on LTI because you want them to come back sooner than 10 games. Like, they, if, if like, the Dermot, Besser, Makayev situations get into that sort of in-between where, like, they might miss five or seven games, but probably not 10, or at least not for sure 10, um, yeah, I mean... I wouldn't be shocked if they're making calls right now trying to figure that out. Phil DiGiuseppe should have made the team on opening night a year ago uh, when there were more spots to be won. And is he going to make the team this year? I see a world where he's the 13th forward on opening night, right? And uh, again, uh, like to me, it kind of comes down to DiGiuseppe or Jason Dickinson. Quite frankly, right? Because I think Dakota Joshua's got a spot. I think based on injuries, we're going to see Nils Hoaglander here one way or the other. Um, and Curtis Lazar is obviously going to be here as well. So to me, I think it comes down to those two. And, and right now, with Brock Besser out of the lineup, I think he winds up being on this team um, as the 13th forward. Uh, but yeah. I like everything I've seen in training camp. I liked what I saw last Sunday. And I, I, th- I was fine with him here. I, I, think he's, I think he's got a place in the NHL. Right now, I mean, am I going to, you know, clamor for him that this is a travesty if he doesn't? He's always going to be a fringe guy. He's always going to be a player that every team tries to upgrade from. But I think he is a, a quality, serviceable fourth-line player in this league and, and has, has done his part to this point. He's been given lots of opportunity. I think he's taken advantage of the role that they've asked him to play. You're not going to get a lot of points out of him. But, I like, I like Phil DiGiuseppe, and I liked him last year, so... I think I think we're going to see him on opening night. The question is, are we going to see him once Brock Besser gets healthy? Well, so I'm going to go with trending up. I liked what I saw tonight. Um, you know, he was playing with Lockwood and Dries, but I thought his speed played. I thought he won a ton of battles. I thought he just had a lot of smart touches, a lot of productive touches overall in the game. Um, but here's the reason that I think his stock is trending up mostly. With You're going to give the, me salary cap minutia. Absolutely not. With Ilya Mikheyev's... Injury uncertainty, and as we saw play out this morning across Vancouver, that uncertainty is paramount. Um, they need a speed. They need another burner. They need another guy who can move and stretch teams vertically, both on the PK, but just generally. If Mikhaev's not going to be ready or Mikhaev's not going to be ready for opening night, um, you know, you need as much speed as you can get. Like you really Mikhaev- think that's you really think that's an issue, given what we yes. eventually saw yes. this morning. Based well, on, so, what, so based sorry, on your sorry. intel. Well, no, it's not about my. I, you know, you know me. I don't really get into the like nitty gritty of reporting injuries until the playoffs. Like I don't yeah. report out injuries, and the reason I don't is that it changes rapidly. I was actually really gratified in some ways that Vancouver fans got a taste of how fine the line between day to day skating tomorrow and you know week-to-week potential ACL issue can be, right? Like, the the line is so fine because how many times in this market have we seen a guy get hurt and then his timeline stretches out, you know, and then people are like, well, the organization lied or, like, what's going on with those team doctors? But it's like sometimes, you know, a guy's hurt, they're swelling, they can't even be evaluated for 48 hours, the first test shows something, they get a second opinion, they get an additional test, it shows something else, the story changes, particularly because we're asking about these guys every single day, and it can take a bit of time for clarity to to come from that. 
Um, All right, listen, from our listeners, uh, is according to Joey Y, LOL, is anyone trending down according to Drancer? Sally H, seemingly not. Del J, weird, positive Drance is weird. Joey, uh, this is this is a Okay, whole... I got some guys for you. you uh, <laughs> ch- challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. I mean, partly, partly I'm grading guys on a curve, right? Like, I'm like, Linus Carlson exceeded my desperately low expectations of his skating ability, so he's trending up. First of all, I want to point that out. Secondly, I've got a negative one for you. Danny DeKaiser, Farhan, trending up, trending down. His play has done nothing for me, right? Like, he's been, he looks the part. His play has done nothing. And again, if you were talking to me about the top seven defensemen on this team or opening night situation, hell no. I have not seen it at all. Um, but again, as I talk about the depth this organization needs on the back end and the lack of anything of substance in the minors to come up and help this team. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, and like, didn't, did Brad Hunt just get cut or yeah, demoted, he, I should say? Yeah, he did. Well, he did. He got cut in he got waved today. after a really tough game against the Vegas Golden Knights. Like to me, like they, they don't have a guy like Brad Hunt there, right? Like I, I would... I would definitely sign Danny DeKaiser and to a minimum deal and put him in the minors if he doesn't get a better offer elsewhere because I think I think he fits as a number nine or a ten guy just to give yourself organizational depth. But he's shown me nothing. Yeah, I, I just I I just don't see the speed and I thought his uh, his play on the first goal uh, on the PK was um, not good. Tough, tough. Danny DeKaiser, I mean, look, Danny DeKaiser, Tucker Pullman, um, that's an adventure, even when the games don't matter. Uh, I don't want to see it when the games count. And What so, do we do with Tucker Pullman here? Like, what is, you know, given his salary, he's not going anywhere. Like, what are the options with Tucker Pullman? Have you seen, okay, we, we, we think he can last. They're playing him a lot of minutes, and they're, they're giving him that workload to see just how healthy he is. He's going to play in a lot of these preseason games, but... Is there anything to tell you he should be any more than a third pair? Uh, no. <laughs> no. I mean, of no. course not. No. I like clearly not. But that's okay. He can play on the third pair, and he has some defensive value in that role. Yeah, but, but if you put if you put him next to Jack Rathbone, does that make you comfortable? I think that's going to bring out the worst in Rathbone. I mean, I'm so comfortable with Rathbone playing with Luke Shen, but having him play with Tucker Pullman, I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you in part because, you know, I didn't like Pullman with Quinn Hughes and I don't like him with Jack Rathbone for the same reason, right? Like his puck handling can be wasteful. He can take stuff off the table offensively. And so if you've got him with a higher end offensive guy or at least a guy with the chops to potentially be that, I I think that's, um, you know, I like him a lot more with like a defensive minded transitional guy like Travis Dermott. But, again, I don't know what Dermot's status is. We haven't heard from him in a bit, and the Canucks don't really have an update on him. Uh, you know, sort of 48 hours since he left the ice uh, at practice under the, you know, care and accompaniment of Canucks medical staff. Hey, we've been going for half an hour. Let's open the floor. You guys know how this works. You can raise your hand and get put into the queue. And when you uh, do so, I will select uh, in order that people raise their hands, some folks from the queue. We'll go for about 15, 20 minutes, and that's your opportunity to guide this conversation wherever you'd like to go. Farhan and I will take your questions, hear your commentary, and uh, and respond accordingly. Uh, and we'll tell you if you're trending up or down. I'm just kidding. You're all trending up. You're VIPs, and we appreciate you enormously for joining us. So let's, uh, let's get to the queue. We've had... Uh, 
Perez, who's had their hand up for a while here. I'm going to I'm going to call on them and we'll start the Q&A portion of our VanCast live episode. Perez, do you have Hello. me? Yes, can you hear me? Hello. We can, and you're coming in crystal clear. Great audio quality, oh. bud. Thank you, Thomas. I was wondering which defenders across the league under the age of 26 would potentially be interested in a trade. As it seems, the forward group is very strong in depth, but the D needs work if we ever want to get to be a contender. Yep. Good point. All right. Thanks so much, Perez, and thanks for your crisp audio quality. That was fantastic. I wish I sounded like that. Um, Me too. Okay. So, yeah. So, some guys that I think the Canucks would like. Um, well, I saw one tonight. I saw one tonight, a guy that I want to talk about a little bit because he was my favorite player on the ice for either team, and that's Will Borgen. Seattle, Seattle Kraken, right-handed defenseman, six foot three, two hundred pounds. Played it, played long shifts at three on three, and gave the Canucks nothing. Just like responsible, hard wrist shot, hard slap shot, does it all. Meat and potatoes, but like enough skill to hold up three on three, checking guys like Connor Garland up high in the defensive zone. Uh, Will Borgen. For me, Will Borgen is like the template. Like that is the guy that I think the Canucks. That's the singular guy for me that I think the Canucks should go out and get proactively is an RFA after this year, 900 K against the cap this year. Like I would pay a premium future to get him. If I was the Canucks, I think he's that good. I think there's wow. a chance that he's a perfect Quinn Hughes caddy. I loved his game tonight. I always liked his game. I liked his game last year, but I'm watching him play tonight. I'm like, this guy's awesome. Like, Where does your boy Ryan exactly. Clark tell you he fits in Seattle's depth chart? Well, he's going to be the third defenseman at best because they've got Alexiak and they've got Larson, right? I sure. mean, there's no way that he plays more than a third-pair role for them. But I think on this team, like, if you put him on in Vancouver, I think he'd be their second-best right-handed defenseman day one. And I think there's some of that, like, sneaky top-four upside. You know, like, one of those guys who can glow up uh, to be that type of player in their in their late 20s. So uh, I, I bring him up because he's top of mind. Do I have a sort of ready-made list of defensemen under 26. I mean, I've made one in the past, so I'm sure I could just go uh, refer to it. But um, you know, I don't have sort of a, I don't have guys off the top of my head. I guess, I guess Ethan Bear is obviously a guy who's been linked to the Canucks in the very recent past. I have time for uh, Josh Mahura in um, Anaheim. I think he's going to be in tough to make the roster, particularly if Oz, as they're calling him, although I know him as Zell. Olin Zellweger happens to make the Anaheim Ducks this season. I wouldn't be surprised if he does. That kid's the most dialed kid in the dub. I hear he lives in the gym, 6% body fat, like really just an impressive athlete. Bit undersized, but a perfect new NHL defenseman. Uh, Connor Clifton had a bad season in Boston last year, but I still have a ton of time for that player. Like him a lot. Um, Carolina has just an embarrassment of, of right-handed defense prospects outside of Bear. A guy named Hamo Salmi uh, is a standout for me. I thought he was uh, fantastic at the World Juniors. Everyone, all Canucks fans were excited about Yoni Yermos playing the neutral zone, but Hamo Salmi's decision-making in-zone um, sort of made him, for me, the best player on that team in that tournament. Uh, Chicago's got nobody. Colorado's got everybody. <laughs> I, I, I'm literally just going down the list at this point. Like, I, you know, it's hard to get young defensemen out of organizations, right? Like, if the Canucks were able to steal Sean Walker and and um, 
what's his name? Roy from from just as like an example, like two sort of like, you know, middling ish Sean Walker and Matt Roy from the L.A. Kings. Right. Like it would make such a huge difference for this team. Now, it's so much easier said than done because these guys cost Norman Lake, right? Like you see Curtis or what's his name? I don't remember his first name, but Lausanne, who got acquired by the Nashville Predators uh, just ahead of the deadline last year. Like that guy cost two seconds. Two seconds. Like, that's sort of where this team's in tough, right? This Canucks team. They don't have the cap space to just, like, take problem guys off other teams' hands. Um, They don't really have the assets or the prospect depth to trade futures for guys like Borgen, especially if they're going at Lausanne-type prices. Um, You know, that's sort of what I've been talking about, where, where, where they're stuck. And I think the organization understands that enough that they're sort of looking at upgrading the defense core as a as a multi-year project so you know you end up sort of considering things like um you know should they claim a guy like um victor mete off waivers from the toronto maple leafs when he's inevitably waived like if the pittsburgh penguins rave a, a wave a chad rua deal um is he the type of guy they should claim yeah by the way the answer is yes i don't even think the penguins will waive him because he probably wouldn't even make it uh to the canucks like you know, uh, Pierre Olivier Joseph, and we had a question about him earlier. Like, is it worth seeing if another change of scenery does him well, considering he's an ex Emily Castonguay client and Rutherford traded for him in the recent past? Like, that wouldn't stun me. It wouldn't stun me if they give a player like that or a project type guy like that a look. But I think that's sort of, you know, the like the Mete Joseph tier is kind of where. I think the Canucks can afford to play. I just don't think they can part with the types of futures that it would require to get a guy like a Borgen out of Seattle. All right, let's go on to Rohan K. Rohan, you're on the stage. Can you hear me? Um, Hey, Rohan. Hey, so I was curious if in the summer, do you know if management had any interest in trying to bring in like a proper compliance center? Because uh, I was thinking about it, like, if the team gets injured, like, right now, Curtis Lazar would be our third-line center. Um, mm. And that doesn't seem like a great thing. And also, I'm part of, like, the faction that believes that Miller is better on the wing. So I was kind of curious yep. if, you know, if they looked into that or all, if they're really all in on this. Yeah, that's a good question, Rohan. Thank you. Um, I think they I think they see Miller as a center for the most part. I think they value him that way i think he proved to them that he can play that position last year and so you know i think when they looked at their options they really weren't enamored with the defensive options i think they kicked the tires on some you know third line center type options including evan rodriguez over the course of the summer mostly when those guys became far cheaper later into august uh, I don't think it was a priority for them on the same magnitude that adding speed was uh, and adding Lazar as like a penalty killing right handed face off man. Um, you know, those were those were sort of top line priorities, uh, ultimately, uh, particularly because while, you know, I believe that they kicked the tires on some defenders, including Ilya Labushkin, uh, you know, a right handed guy who could presumably be an upgrade in their top four um, at the end of the day. 
they just weren't as interested in those guys as they were in a guy like Mikhaev who fit their age profile. They saw it as a future-oriented move, and they thought the need for speed was a desperate one with this group as constructed. And hard to disagree with them, right? Like I'd say that's hard to hard to disagree with them. Uh, Farhan, uh, can you add anything to that? No, I, you know, I think the I think you're right. I mean, I do believe that they're all in on their middle three that they've got right now. And they've got to feel pretty good about it. Could they get some additional help on the right side? You know, I'm sure that was on their to-do list, but not at the expense of speed. Uh, you know, I think it was a distant third when you talk about what they wanted to improve defensively, the speed element that they wanted to improve. I think that was third, and they're all in on this setup with these three down the, down the middle. Yeah. And if you look at it from a big-picture perspective, you know, maybe they will be looking for another center if, in fact, they move on from Bo Horvat, but that's not going to happen this season. So yeah. this this is what it looks like, and I don't think they're pressing themselves to look at a, a potential down-the-road 3C. Uh, yeah. You know, th- their top three now are three very, very good players. It allows them balance throughout the lineup that they haven't had previously. It allows them to spread out their scoring, and, and they've built around them. That's really what it looked like. They couldn't get the defense done, so what did they do? They added two key forwards to allow them to build a legitimate top nine and support all three centers. Yeah, and I- I'd add, too, like, if there was the right 26- or 27-year-old defender who, like, profiled like a Will Borgen type available and unrestricted free agency this past summer, I think they would have taken a big swing at that guy uh, using the money they ultimately invest in McKayev. I just don't think they saw that player available, and they saw the type of forward they thought they were desperate for in terms of the speed, in terms of the penalty kill utility. And, and that sort of brings us to today and explains some of the moves that they actually uh, ended up making. All right, Dell, Jay. I'm calling you to the stage now. Del, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, Del, how are you? Oh, my headphones are not working at all. Hi, sorry. You sound great to us, so... Oh, that's good. Okay, yeah. I, well, I wanted to ask about Chris Bento, but since Is Del still sounding great? No, Del is no longer sounding great, but she's oh. asking about... Oh. We heard you say, oh, so maybe just speak loudly. I think you're asking about Rachel Dory, though. I am. I Just because Bruce was talking about her on the coaching staff, and then the whispers have been that she's already gone. So I think yep. that asked. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> Thanks, Del. Yeah. So, yeah, Rachel, uh, by all indications, appears to be gone, um, dismissed in some manner by the organization. Uh, you know, she was recording practices, um, especially special team sessions in her role as assistant video coach. And uh, certainly on Wednesday at practice, uh, following uh, sort of an evening of rumors that she'd been dismissed, um, she was no longer doing so. Um, yeah, I mean, that is that is the case. Now, I don't have a good sense of why uh, I saw Rob Simpson uh, confirmed it and reported it today. Um, so, you know, this is coming to this point. Bruce hasn't been asked about it. I'm sure he will be shortly, especially now that the club has confirmed it. Um, and Bruce you know, was excited about her transitioning into that side of things. We talk, remember we talked to him at the golf tournament and he well, thought she had a ton to offer. That's an important thing he has to be asked is like, do you still stand behind those comments? Right? Because I think that would illustrate an awful lot about exactly where this organization is. Uh, look. You know, I don't I don't have the full story yet. It's one of those where, you know, I don't rush to be first in, 
because we're talking about a relatively junior staffer, um, you know, uh, it's not like earth-shaking news. And sometimes these things can be a little bit more complicated behind the scenes. And you want to make sure you do it right and get the full story. And I'm not really there yet. So uh, beyond sort of saying that, yeah, I've heard the same things, um, you know, I believe that to be true. I believe the rumors to be founded. And I'm still working on it because when it gets presented, I want to be able to present the full story um, as opposed to sort of um, telling it in an incomplete way. I just don't think that does anyone anyone a service, uh, particularly, you know, with how that hiring was trumpeted um, and Boudreaux's recent commentary. Uh, it certainly feels a part of the vibes that have you know, become pretty weird, I, I think is putting it tactfully, downright awful, um, around this team over the course of the past week, right? <laughs> Whistler, Whistler, coming out of Whistler, I was like, man, the vibes could not be more different this year than they were last year. And then two things happened in the last scrimmage. The first was that the team did a ceremonial puck drop before a scrimmage, a training camp scrimmage, and the carpet got stuck to the ice. And they had to, like, scrape it off, and it delayed the start of the thing for a bit. Um, and then the ice quality was kind of mangled, and you could see some players go over and sort of skate over it and cut up the ice and uh, try and get it all right. And it was just um, it's just weird. And then Besser wasn't there. And since then, it's like Besser's gone down. Mikhaev's gone down. The team's lost three preseason games, two at home to AHL-caliber lineups. You had the allegations, the deeply troubling allegations, um, you know, in sworn affidavits uh, submitted in family court. Those affidavits are, of course, sealed, but were read in in part to the public record by uh, Talia Aquilini's lawyer, uh, Claire Hunter. Um, you know, and, and those allegations are deeply troubling, um, made by Francesco Aquilini's children. Um, you have the Rachel Dory thing uh, happening right on the eve of the season. I, I can't remember anyone being dismissed at, at this point in the season, uh, certainly in my time covering or working for a team. Um, I'd call that highly unusual. Um, you know, this last week has been a very, very strange one for this team and sort of have kind of overshadowed any sense of optimism um, that that certainly I had coming into this season. Like I, I'm really sort of watching this team function now with a furrowed brow, uh, particularly after Bruce Boudreaux's, you know, uh, deeply downtrodden availability tonight, uh, which just seems so unusual considering it's a preseason game. I'm, um, you know, it's it. There's there's just something off right now uh, around this organization as a whole. Um, you know, deeply off in some respects, obviously. And in other respects, you know, sort of more subtly, uh, the Dory, uh, you know, issue is uh, sort of an example of that for me. And I, I hope to be able to present more on it shortly. Yeah, you know, I, like I'm not going to necessarily overreact. Surely there are a lot of things that are piling up. You're not wrong in that regard. I think the, the Francesco Aquilini situation is not something the players will necessarily wear. Um, you know, I... I I don't know that they're going to spend a lot of time getting asked about it. I think Bruce definitely will. Um, you know, I think uh, I think Jim Rutherford will probably get asked about it at some point here. I'm not sure the players necessarily have to wear it, but um, you know, big picture, yeah, it's certainly it's certainly part of the narrative. Um, you know, and when I look at the injuries, 
it doesn't appear as though any of them are serious, Brock Besser notwithstanding. And even in Besser's case, he misses maybe a week of the regular season. It, I, you know, we're not expecting this to be a long-term situation. Does it impact his ability to start fast? Does it impact his ability to develop chemistry with his line mates? You know, which he already has as far as Miller's concerned. You know, potentially there's some of that, but I, I like I'm not prepared to necessarily overreact, right? And even in the Rachel Dory case, like it it all adds up to a string of negative press. But again, something the players aren't going to wear. It's something that's not going to be front no. of mind for them on any level. Well, sure, but I mean, you get to a point where things pile up, right? And it becomes like, what are we doing here? Like, you know, everything gets, you know, I guess here's the point: is a week ago it felt like. This group now has no excuses. And now it's like... They still have no excuses. Uh, okay. Uh, they don't. A, I mean, if, if McCann is back in a week... It, there's you know, a slow tr- drip. There's a slow drip of BS that if a hockey team puts up with enough of it, it begins to fill the cup. And I think we're very, very close to that point, particularly in this media market, and particularly given the gravity of the allegations made against uh, Canucks chairman Francesco Aquilini. Um, Want to comment on one thing, one comment. Um, how many times do we have to prove preseason wins don't matter before we stop acting like they do, Drance? WTF from Devin G. Devin, I don't care at all. The, the, the results of the preseason game do not matter to me in the least. Frankly, the results of a single regular season game barely matter to me. It's more about how a team trends over 25, 30 games that that begins to make me react one way or another. Um, The reason that I'm bringing it up like it matters is Bruce Boudreaux's availability tonight was shocking to me. In I want to say, now you've got me so you've got me so up in arms now. I have got to watch this availability you do. as soon as you, you do. You know, I and, and I wonder. You know, the more I think about it as we're talking here, the, the you know when they lost, sorry, when they let it slip away in the third period, um, how much of that is tied to the questions around structure with this team defensively, right? Like they got loose. Uh, some of it, you know, in the case of Pearson and Hughes on the wall, giving the puck away, that was, you know, regular players. It wasn't guys that aren't necessarily going to be with them. It was certainly a much more veteran lineup than what Seattle um, iced. And again, we're not talking about necessarily results, but process. And the way that third period went down, their structure was bad. And I know it's only the second preseason game for most of them because, you know, it's a split squad on the first night. Um could that have anything to do with it? Because that's the single biggest area that Bruce Boudreaux has been challenged with improving. Yep. Yep. Fair enough. All right. I think we, um, I think we can leave it there, huh? Yeah, I think so. Uh, a good run for an hour here. A good, a good hour long recap of a preseason game that didn't matter, except that it seemed to, to that Canucks head coach. Go watch that availability Farhan. It was, uh, it was something. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And, and, uh, uh, and uh, put down your Mariners pom-poms. It's unbecoming of you. Stop it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because I, I get all this grief from, because obviously I'm trolling a bunch of Blue Jay fans on Twitter every you know every now and again, and I uh, I certainly do want the Mariners to do well, and I do want the Blue Jays to lose po- do poorly. But all these Blue Jay fans come to me and tell me how good, you know, oh, the Blue Jays are this, and the Mariners, are, they suck. The Blue Jays are 4-6 and six in their last 10. The Mariners are 5-5. Five and five. Like, this is a turtle derby for the wildcard spot in the American League. Like, let's be real, right? This is this is a snail's pace for all of these teams. Which just shows you there's too many teams in the playoffs in baseball now. Ah, I disagree with you. There's, it's, it, you know what? Wild card play-in games are the best, and the they're NFL all losing. They're all games. losing their way in. So what? Okay. So what? It's gonna be. Hey, fun. look, I'm happy. I'm happy the Mariners are gonna make it. 
don't get yeah. me wrong. Like, but at the end of the day, none, nobody can sit there and thump their chest going into the playoffs on these wild card teams. Oh no, and no, and no Blue Jays fan would. I mean, it's been so anticlimactic for them. Um, you know, this Mariners bullpen. <laughs> Yeah, it's not good. They need they need they need Julio back to outscore some of their problems. There's no doubt. Yep. And I told you that this would happen in our very last episode, but oh yeah, because you can predict injuries. You were the smart. You were the smartest guy on the planet that you can predict injuries. Julio was already out, man. They brought him back too soon. They did bring him back too soon because he like he lasted a game and had to go in the 10 day DL. I told you. I told you. I thought the Mariners were going to make it, but. I knew that it was going to be a bumpy ride the rest of the season. I told you that. Like, I'm yeah, but saying. you know what? If they get, if they get all, look, stop it. You can't predict injuries. You can predict data. You can't predict injuries. You don't know these <laughs> players well enough. Cut the bullshit. <laughs> and, but uh, like, he I'm was looking, already hurt when I said it, bud. Yeah, I know. But look, they're I going to predict so, anything. I said he's hurt. That they're going to miss him. Well, okay, so, then, so they'll, get, they'll get him. They'll get him all back right oh, in time, man. just in time to hit the reset button and I go missed, on a run. I missed our spats, my friend. Nice to do an episode with you. Well, nice to do an episode with the VIPs. That's the best part. I got to do an episode with you. We will uh, you know, be on just a maniacal laugh on a promo. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Hope you enjoyed. Um, we'll do this again in a couple weeks. Probably, You know what? Maybe we'll do it after uh, after the first game of the year. Probably uh, probably the next day after the first game of the year. We'll, we'll jump on one of these, uh, and the VIPs can have their say about how the Canucks look when the games really matter. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for playing Trending Up, Trending Down with us. And thank you for putting up with our dumb baseball arguments. We appreciate it. Um, for, for Drancer and Farhan, this has been the Live Room Vancast. We'll do it again soon. Cheers.